You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, it is the weekend. Happy Friday to you all. You're watching EVH and Gear TV. EVH and Gear TV? That's just a private joke. (laughs) (laughs) I hope everyone is doing well. We are live, and we'll tell you about that little joke in a moment. But we're joined tonight by Damon Johnson, a a guest I've been looking forward to having for quite some time, and had some friendly conversations just off the air a moment ago. But Damon, how are you doing? Doing great, Eric. This is so cool for me to be a part of this. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we are. We all are. I, I definitely am as well, but I know a lot of the fans, you know, as I was telling you off the air, I was kind of putting the buzz out there that you're coming on soon and people are like, oh my God, like, there's so many people out there that you know them as the shredders and stuff like that. And there's a lot of players out there that are very underrated and you're one of them. I mean, the chops that you have, um, I know I, sometimes when I say that to certain guests, I get embarrassed. And I don't mean to embarrass you when I say this, but there's a few players out there like Ian Thornley here in Canada. He's a, he's a monster player. And wow, he has an, monster. And he is. I'm glad you know him. And he has an angelic voice. Um, and I know this will really kind of freak you out when I say this, Stevie Ray Vaughan, a master player and a beautiful voice. You're, you're in that category as well too, a monster player and a credible voice. So it's nice to be able to talk about both. Well, Eric, I'm very humbled by, uh, by that description and that comparison. Uh, I had the great fortune of, uh, spending a little bit of time with Ian way back in the, in the nineties, uh, you know, when Big Rec was starting to really make some noise. We wound up on a few festivals together. And oh, that's cool. Yeah, man. He was super cool and just what a monster talent. And uh, I'm hoping our paths cross again really soon. And I mean, Stevie Ray, man, what more can I say? He's he's in my, he's on my Mount Rushmore for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Certainly is. Well, we've got so much to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about all kinds of geekness over guitar. Uh, we've got the new album we're going to be talking about as well, too, in depth. But let's uh, let's geek out a little bit as we warm up. But I always like to you know kind of warm up a little bit. The uh, we're kind of the opening act here right now, and let's talk about about guitar itself. When did you start guitar, and really what got you into it? I was really fortunate to grow up in a, a household with a ton of music. Uh, my dad played and still plays a little guitar, never professionally, but just for fun. Always loved it. Uh, my mom. Was a great singer, you know. She sang in church and she played some piano and would sing around the house. So, you know, I couldn't appreciate it then, but what a that was a pretty powerful influence on me. So then, you know, when me and my friends in middle school started discovering rock and roll and all those great bands, um, I think I was maybe a couple of steps ahead of some of my friends, you know, because I'd I'd been exposed to that. Um, musicality from my parents so you know they really deserve a lot of credit for that my dad had a brother uh, he passed away several years ago but uh, just a world-class singer guitar player never did it professionally but I just remember he would sit around the kitchen uh, you know with his acoustic guitar and sing really challenging uh, vocal things I remember him singing like uh, El Paso by Marty Robbins and, uh, you know, he could sing Glenn Campbell songs and stuff like that. So, you know, pretty powerful for a a kid, 11, 12 years old to be able to see right up front, man, like, all right, I see what he's doing with his fingers and 
and he's singing and you know I was the guitar was my first real love I didn't you know the singing thing was kind of by necessity I I I never had like this crave to be in the spotlight or the guy behind the microphone I kind of got into that by default but uh no question man I was really lucky to grow up in a super musical household well, that's, that's good influence for sure, too. And that was one of the things I was going to ask you is, were you one of these guys that, okay, I want to be a singer and I'm going to play some guitar, but I hear what you're saying about the necessity, kind of like Eddie Van Halen back in the day. And we'll talk about Van Halen a little bit throughout the program, but I don't think Eddie ever wanted to be a singer. You know, he was he was out there singing in, in the early days and like ruining his voice because he didn't know how to how to sing. He was not yeah. really trained and he was killing himself. Um, so I can see that. I have a lot of friends in the business where they've, they've become a singer because they had to. And some of them are amazing, you know, because they, they, they became the singer and they were the singer all along. So I think, uh, did you take any training like eventually down the road or did it just, it just came naturally to you? Well, I did have, uh, I was so fortunate the, the way the whole thing went down, Eric, um, to, to really just kind of take you through it. We, the band that I had together, uh, I grew up in Alabama and I had moved to Birmingham in the mid eighties cause there was a, a, re, a decent scene there. So in 1990, I put a band together. We had a singer, uh, we showcased for a lot of the labels. We just weren't really getting any bites, but, uh, the one guy from Virgin records, he loved the band and the songs minus the singer. He said, Hey man, I'm going to help you find a singer. You know, I think you're a great guitar player. So, you know, I had always sang backups and, you know, like in the club days, I would sing two or three songs just to give the singer a break or whatever. So long story short, we couldn't really come up with somebody that was the right fit. And this A&R guy heard me sing some songs in a, in a club one night and sort of forced me the next day, you know, to get in the studio and try singing some of the other songs that we had been writing, you know. Okay. So that was favorably received by him and thankfully the other guys in my band they were like yeah man go for it you can do it you know yeah. i've always thought you had a good voice you know their encouragement was was just invaluable so straight away uh, that a and r guy aaron jacobus was his name uh i'll be indebted to him forever man first thing he did was get me into some proper vocal lessons not to teach me how to sing but to teach me how to take care of it how to yeah. warm up you know, things that are important for your voice, man, like your diet and getting plenty of sleep and all that boring stuff that I did not want to hear, man. We just couldn't wait to go on tour and drink beer and chase <laughs> girls. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah, I can see why you're indebted to him. And, and the cool thing was, too, is your bandmates were supportive because, you know, you, they could have went kind of self there. The guys could have said, dude, you're not a singer, man. We Don't do it. You know, so you had a lot of encouragement. They definitely could have and they didn't. And, you know, now, you know, roll the clock forward, what, 25 years, man, and here I am, you know, solo artist full time and, and put out a record that I'm so proud of. And, you know, I wasn't really maybe ready for it then like I am now, but I'm, I've, I've really embraced it and got so much more comfortable with the sound of my own voice. It took me a minute, but, yep. uh, but I'm finally there. Better late than never, I guess. That's right. Well, I've got to say, I've watched, I watched. I tell every guest this as well too, as they come on the show. You know, I like I like to surround myself uh, in the the music of each guest, and I like to study a bunch of interviews as well too, just just to learn a little bit more about uh, the artist. In your case, you, and I haven't seen you do a bad interview. I think I was really looking forward to this because it's as relaxed as relaxed can be, you know. And it's just it's like a couple of dudes just talking guitar and and hits, you know. It's kind of I like it. 
Well, me too, brother. I mean, that's always the best. I think, I think for you, you've already learned that that's how you get the best responses. That's mm-hmm. how you get the best answers. The more, the more it's like just a normal conversation. Um, you know, I mean, I get it. It's probably good that it's later in the day. Yeah. You know, my wife, my wife laughs at me. She goes, when you do interviews and you've had like a couple of cups of coffee, you talk really loud and really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I get that here all the time. The wife, like I, I, it's just, it's my nature. Um, I, I'm a fast talker. I've been that way my whole life. And, and the wife, like she, like the, she's the only one who can get away with it by saying you're talking too fast. Right. But we'll yeah. go like, to the drive through Taco Bell drive through or a coffee shop to drive through. And I'll say something. And they they get it all wrong. She's like, "Why do you think they get it wrong? You're talking like like this, right?" <laughs> and I, last a couple nights back, I had uh, our phenomenal uh, guitar player from over in Peru, Charlie Para, amazing player, and um, he was worried about his uh, native. Well, he's you know speaks Spanish, and he was worried about his English, and he did phenomenal. And I'm thinking, oh my god, so. I speak so fast. Imagine someone who doesn't speak the native English language very well. I'm going to probably really mess him up. But I guess maybe I slowed down a little bit or he was just so adept to it. But it was no barrier. When you start to have fun, you're relaxed. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. And, and you know, credit to to our very much smarter than we are wives yes. for, uh, you know, keeping an eye on us and, and uh, you know, just get, keeping us in line, keeping us in check. That's right. They're they're always right, and even when they're wrong, we have to give them a pass because they're right more than wrong. Always, yeah. always. Well, as I was sharing with you too, and I know you appreciated this off the air. I was saying that um, my better half here, Nocturnal Butterfly. She's that's her name in the chat. She goes, her real name is Sandra Lee. She runs a chat really efficiently, and she'll be uh, sharing a lot of your links throughout the uh, evening as well too, in the chat and in the description. So we've got links oh, awesome. to your YouTube and your website and all that kind of stuff. But um, I was showing you some of her, some of your music. Obviously, she knew stuff with Brother Kane and things like that. Um, but so she saw "Shivering, Shivering," which we'll talk about the new single. Loved it, of course. And then what? She, what did she do? She never forms her her opinion on the first time she hears a studio track. She goes and she caught one of your videos. It was actually I wanted to just follow up immediately after you're playing something acoustic at a club, and she's like, "Okay, perfect. I love them because you sounded the same." You know, which you you proved yourself basically when you're on stage. A lot of guys and girls out there. You listen to the album, you're like, okay, that's great. And you listen to them live, you're kind of like, oh, man, oof, you know, but that wasn't the case here. So kudos. Well, please give her my regards and uh, and tell her I said thank you. Um, yeah, you know, the whole singing thing, even though I sang throughout the 90s in Brother Kane, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, the only acoustic performing I ever did is like if we went to a radio station and they wanted us to play you know, the song that we had out as our single at that moment. But, mm-hmm. you know, get as far as getting in front of an audience, that took me some time. And I didn't really do that until really after Brother Kane had had called it quits in 2000. So um, what a powerful learning tool that's been for me. I, I really wish I had have done more of that maybe even before Brother Kane. I think it would have helped my confidence a lot and uh, just helped me kind of find my voice and, 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 you know, find what range to sing in. That's, that's another funny thing I'm experiencing, Eric, you know, now that I have my, my solo band and we, you know, we play a lot of those Brother Kane songs. I'm proud of those songs. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that the fans really enjoy hearing that stuff. Uh, but you know, I was a young man back then and I was singing, you know, some of that stuff in a range that was arguably a couple steps out of reach. Uh, so, 
you know, but it's fun for me now because I it kind of pushes me, you know, to, to like try and look after myself and stay in shape and keep my endurance up. And so, uh, yeah, man, the whole, the whole singing thing, it's like, who knew? I just I just wanted to be a guitar player. I, I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. Nice. I wanted to be Joe Perry. And, um, you know, and sometimes you don't get exactly what you want. But you get what you need. That's why that's a great Mick Jagger lyric, man. There's so much truth in that. <laughs> you don't get what you want, but you do get what you need. That's right. I, I love that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump over the chat, say hi to a bunch of our regulars that are over here and some new faces probably as well. Thanks to some of the people you've sent over. Thank you for sharing the uh, the links as well. So over in our live chat, I know you probably can't see it, but I'll say hi to anyone who says hi to you there. Uh, my good sure. friend Gary Holt is here. Nocturnal Butterfly, as I mentioned. Brad Miller is here. Brian Cote. Uh, let me scroll down a little further. Uh, let me see. Quentin James is here. Ryan Adam. Hey, hey. Uh, let me see. Scroll down. Richard Henry. Hey, everyone. Looking forward to this. Damon is awesome. I met him a few times. Uh, hope when he tours, he can uh, come to see us in Belfast. So he's tuning in from over in Belfast, which is fantastic. Oh, right on, man. Yeah. Hello to Northern Ireland. That's great. Thank Sweet. you, brother. And the, uh, what I love about Richard is uh, it's got to be like three o'clock in the morning for him right now. And he, he tunes in for these shows. You know, he's a massive mon monster guitar player, too. Uh, so it's it's really an honor to have people like that tune in on a regular basis when it's way past their bedtime. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah, speaking of monster players, a good Canadian friend of mine here just down the road, Jason Sedites. He's a Yamaha guitars artist. Uh, he's jumping in to say hi. Great uh, fusion player. Actually, he has uh, Marco Miniman playing drums on his record, a couple records. And Mark, oh, wow. Marco, okay. We have a monster player. Uh, Scott Roos is here. Let me see here. Scroll down a little bit more. We'll get down a bit further. And we're going to have some really cool Eddie Van Halen stories tonight, too, uh, for the folks in the chat. It's got some cool stuff. Yeah, out. man. Looking forward to that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And it's what, what I always do with my guests, too. Sometimes I scare people away because they, they hear EVH and they're like, but I don't know anything about Van Halen. And what I do with the show is I just sprinkle that Van Halen topic on people. So I might have someone on the show that doesn't know a thing about Van Halen. And what my common theme on the show is, is it's a, it's a couple full. It's a couple things. I'm like... What do you, the guests, think of, you know, how Eddie Van Halen influenced the world of guitar? Uh, how did he influence the world of manufacturing? And then, hey, if we want to go down that rabbit hole of tone and things like that, if depending on the guest knowledge, we do. If the person knows nothing about Van Halen, we just kind of dance around that. And then the rest of the show's around them. But I think we're going to probably talk a little bit more. than Bro, I know a lot about Van Halen. And so, uh, I'm thinking, I'm cool. thinking you might know more than me. And that's going to be great, which is, <laughs> which is great. And I don't, I don't profess to know it all at all. Trust me, I don't. But I, I know you know some stories that, that I don't know. So that's going to be great. Uh, idiot of the day, my friend Jeff is here. Carlos Santon, another great Canadian friend of mine. Uh, this is great. It's a really, really nice uh, um, crowd tonight. Todd Graff is here. Mel O'Brien joining us from the other side of the ocean as well, too. Let me see here. Uh -huh. Guitar Hack is here running a fantastic uh, YouTube channel. Uh, let me see here. And Dolores Fisher is here. So I think I will leave off there. And um, so let's. I want to jump back to some guitar stuff for a second. And I think I know the answer to this, but I, obviously in your new video in Shivering Shivering, I'm seeing some beautiful Les Pauls and the, uh, I think, is it a 335 you're playing? You know what, I'm playing in the video, I'm actually playing a 335 and a 330. Oh, 330, okay, uh, right. Yeah, there's a, there's that beautiful Sunburst 330. That that guitar is really special for me, Eric. Uh, my dad bought that guitar brand new in 1962. Ooh. It's a 1960 is the model year. But so I was born a couple years after that. And, you know, when I played in my very first garage band, you know, that's the guitar I showed up at practice with. And uh, so, um, 
the great story is that when I graduated high school, my dad gave me that guitar as a, that was my graduation gift. And, um, you know, the, the, the e Gibson 330 kind of paralleled the Epiphone Casino okay. that the Beatles played. You know, George and, and John played those in a lot of the videos and a lot of the recordings. So uh, just a special sound. You know, not necessarily the right guitar for a guy that's trying to sound like Gary Rosington or Stevie Ray Vaughan or yeah. Eddie Van Halen or Ace Fraley for that matter, you know. But it's the one that I started on, and uh, so I was really, uh, it's actually on the record. I, I used that guitar on several songs, you know, because it has a very unique sound, certainly, too. Usually I'm playing Les Pauls, um, as you know. So, uh, yeah, really proud to get that guitar in the video, for sure. That's cool. That's a, a very sentimental guitar. There's a lot, probably a lot of mojo, mental mojo in that guitar. A lot of mojo, man, for yeah. sure. Isn't it amazing? Sure. Like some people that don't get that, like, and the people that usually don't get the mojo of a guitar is um, um, they're new, right? So they don't really necessarily, they're new to the instrument and they'll learn over time that, you know, God forbid if you had some of your, if a person had some of their instruments stolen and the insurance company cuts you check, you go to the store and you buy them again, but you, that mojo doesn't come with the guitar. Yeah, it's never the same. Well, there's no substitute for just time invested you know, practicing on a guitar, playing it live. Um, you know, uh, there's certainly a half a dozen guitars that I'm super connected to uh, emotionally, spiritually, for those very reasons. You know, I just yeah. put a lot of time in on them. So, uh, yeah, man, thank you for asking about about that for Be sure. Beautiful explorers that you play as well, too. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a mid, it's like an 83 Carina Explorer uh, Gibson that it's another super special guitar for me. You know, some of my other heroes growing up were, uh, were Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special okay, and Ricky Medlock when he was in Blackfoot, you know, he had a Carina Explorer. Now I came to find out later because I've become friends with both of those guys, which, you know, so so much fun man to talk shop with them but uh i think ricky medlocks was an ibanez destroyer and then the guitar that carlisi played was like a custom made explorer so uh they both had envy in their eyes you know when i showed them showed them my gibson Karina. so uh oh, yeah man love that guitar too i'm glad you checked that out yeah one of the guys that my, my buddies here that's um uh, watching the show i know he's enjoying two things right now guitar hack i mentioned his name Number one, he's a big Kiss fan, loves Ace Frehley, and we do here as well too. It's uh, we talk about Kiss a lot, but he's a massive Gibson fan, and I think he kind of he laughs at me sometimes because I've never owned a Les Paul. I've owned many, I've copies, yes. Um, I've had uh, hundreds of different <clears throat> guitars over the years since I was a teenager, but I've never owned a Les Paul, and I do feel that the and I'm waiting for the right one. It has to fall into my lap with the right. It's, I got to you got to feel the mojo, right? Yeah, yeah. But he he's a huge Les Paul fan. He collects them all the time, and he's out there like he's always looking. But he'll go, he'll go try one. If it doesn't feel right right away, he walks right away from it. He won't take it and say, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this guitar in," you know, whatever. He is. But <laughs> it has to be right right away. But he just got, I think it was a nice um, a Firebird the other day. But did you hear that story about um, speaking of how a guitar can change a person? Did you follow with that Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins when he had that his uh, Strat stolen and it was gone for 27 years? You know what? I just caught the tail end of that the other day, and I, you know, I wanted to investigate that. But it sounds like pretty, pretty heavy, man. Yeah. You know, like very, very uh, special 
almost influential guitar for not just his playing, but his songwriting and recording and everything. So uh, that's pretty amazing, man, that it turned up and made its way back to him. That's what I know for sure. And I don't know the full facts. I mean, I bookmarked the article. I, I just kind of paraphrase a lot like I do a lot of times, you know, just kind of skip through. But I guess it was so important to him that it, it changed the way he actually played guitar. And that's why it was so uh, such a detrimental loss to him because he, uh, it, it must have fought him or something, but it made him play guitar completely different. And when he lost it, it was stolen, you know, basically, you know, right out of the back of a club. And like, so he's talking to the security guy, a guard, and he goes, well, where were you? And, you know, I'm not sure what the security guard said, but, you know, some, it wasn't his fault necessarily. But now he had to look at guitars differently. And when he got it back, I think it was just one of those moments where I think he needed a few minutes alone to, it's almost like thinking someone in your family has passed away. And you find out they're alive. I know it's a little extreme, but maybe not so much. Well, no, there's there's definitely a connection there, man. And uh, you know, for me, the Gibson Les Paul was just the watermark right from the beginning. Uh, growing up in the South, there were so many amazing guitar players in all of those great Southern bands. Certainly, Dwayne Allman. I mentioned Gary Rosington, um, Toy Caldwell from the Marshall Tucker Band. Barry Bailey from the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Damn, what a player, man. He played a, a gold top deluxe, you know, with the smaller the smaller humbucking yeah. pickups in there. Um, I mean, I should, are those even humbuckers in a deluxe? They may be a single coil. I, sh I should uh, know that. But, um, and I mentioned Carlisi, you know, um, just great players, man. And then, of course, Joe Perry and Jimmy Page and Paul Kossoff. Huge, man. Yeah. Huge influence. And, and, you know, of course, Ace Fraley, man. I mean, I, there's, uh, you know, we were all absorbed with Kiss. I mean, I guess in a lot of ways that was our first band that we fell in love with, you know, because combination of rock songs and the comic book element, you know, when we were 13 and 14, that was a big deal. Sure was. So, uh, you know, man, I just, you know, when I finally bought my first Les Paul, I was a junior in high school and... Uh, it was an emotional day for sure. I certainly still have that guitar. Uh, that guitar, I played it on all the Brother Kane stuff. You know, um, it's always flattering when people say, "Hey, man, what what was your rig on that first Brother Kane album?" And you know, it was just my old Marshall and that guitar kind of plugged straight in. You know, I think uh, our producer Jim did uh, Jim Mitchell did a couple EQ things maybe, but that was it. So. Uh, you know, look at that. I mean, just that story right there, the, the journey that one guitar has has kind of taken. So uh That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm a I'm a nerd about that stuff, man. I'm a I, total nerd for it. I have a I have a bit of a term. I, I it's just a term I've kind of coined for people like yourself that could can get by with a Les Paul right straight into a Marshall, like, you know, slashes like that. I've got some local buddies here too that are just insane. You know, they'll like they'll play a Les Paul, maybe a tube screamer into a Marshall and the tone is just insane. I try it and I sound like crap. I call it like an organic rocker. You know, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm the opposite, and a lot of guitar players are the opposite, where we have to have our outboard gear to get in our comfort zone and our safety blanket. And so I think that says a lot about people, too, that, you know, maybe are they a better musician? I don't know, but they, they can they can hear the sounds in their head. They can get it across without, yeah. you know, pieces in between. Well, Eric, before we did our interview, I was thinking about that very thing. Uh, you know, because I'm not... I'm not a gearhead to the level that some of my friends are. I mean, you know, I could sit here and name drop for 20 minutes, you know, some of the most 
well-known guitar players in the world of rock and they're you know these guys are all friends of mine mm -hmm. and you know they've got extensive pedal boards and channel switching systems and you know and and more power to them i you know that was just never a path that i was motivated to take i i, I guess it's safe to say i've just been a minimalist from the beginning you know if you've got a great guitar with a great pickup and you got a great amp the right speakers, you know, then I like to kind of wrestle the sound out of that guitar. And, you know, like three of my biggest influences are Stevie Ray Vaughan, Gary Moore, Eddie Van Halen. All three of those guys, man, minimalist. They were, you know, their tones were so in their hands. For sure. You know, Eddie could pick up any guitar and he's going to sound like Eddie. The same with Stevie. Gary, for sure, man. I mean, Gary, that guy... He might, have, he might have been the best of all time, you know, just he had the whole package. So, um, you know, I, I can't imagine there's any gig I couldn't play without, you know, a tuner and a tube screamer, maybe a wah pedal. And that's all I need. OK, a little delay is nice. You know, that ambiance. Yeah, that, that's about it, man. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I've always been kind of less is more in that's, that department. That's good. Oh, for sure. Well, if you look at Eddie as well, too, you look at those vintage, you know, 78, 76 to 78, even 79, you see the, the, the stage, he's got like basically stuff duct taped to the, the stage and very, very minimal. And the only reason why he went to where he is today is because technology changed. And he was kind of responsible for a lot of that technology changing as well, too. But, you know, as, as technology came in, he, he upgraded eventually to, you know, the full blown, you know, fridge racks of, you know, as gear as, as you see. But yeah. he, he could still play, you know, into that Marshall or one of his amps, and it sounded like he can play a pig nose amplifier and sound like Eddie Van Halen. Eric, can I tell you one of my Eddie Van Halen stories right now? I would love this it. Is, Let's go for it. This is the perfect I, time for good. it. So, Brother Kane, we were so giddy, excited, man, to get some Van Halen dates. We got to go out and support them uh, in '96 on the Balance Tour. So there was an afternoon. Uh, they were all set up and I had passed Eddie in the hallway and and I had asked him about his gear, I think, the day before. And he's like, hey, Damon, you want to come check out the rig? I was like, hell yeah, man, I'd love to. So, you know, man, he was get every day. It seemed like he was getting new Wolfgang guitars from PV. He was getting more uh, 5150 amps from PV. Just all this gear, man. It was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I mean, he might, they might have had half of a semi devoted just to Eddie's amps and guitars. So he showed me his rack and, and all these amps. You know, he had the, 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 the 5150 was in its first incarnation, you know. And, you know, just a wall of sound, man. It was incredible. And, you know, I stood in front of the, the cabinets, you know, and kind of at his microphone. And he's playing and I'm just checking it out and. And, you know, he's showing me the guitar and he just got the drop D tuning thing on his Floyd Rose, you know, so he could, you know, any at any second he could drop that the E string down to D and play Unchained mm -hmm. or any of the other songs that were in that tuning. So I remember he handed his tech his guitar. And we walked around the amps. And we're kind of we're still making small talk. Well, I look down at the bottom of this rack of heads and I see this old beat up Marshall. It's turned on. It's got two cables coming out of it. And he's talking. And I looked at him and kind of like pointed at that amp. And he just looks at me and he goes, 
<laughs> wow. Wow. You know, like, don't tell anybody. Isn't but that I still something? got my Marshall in the chain. You know, it's almost like, okay, bro, that is, that's the magic amp right there. And uh, uh, it was, I loved it, man. It was a great moment. I never heard I that story. That. I would love to be the fly on the wall to witness that. Yeah, really awesome. But yeah, you know, Jesus, man, that guy sounds great too. Like you said, a pig nose. You can run him do anything. Yeah. Sounds, he's amazing. That's amazing. A, I heard I heard on that tour, especially that tour, uh, Eddie was uh, very generous with gear. I got a buddy here in Canada. They did some dates with him as well, too, in Our Lady Peace. Matter of fact, I might be acquiring one of the pieces of gear. Uh, it's one of Eddie Eddie's fifty one fifty combos that uh, he you know he's oh you want one of these here you go and he passed it on to because Our Lady Peace was uh, doing a lot of dates with him. Actually, I saw the show. It was a Canadian pay per view uh, here in uh, Toronto, Ontario, and that was that yeah, was, man, yeah, totally. No, he Ed Ed was so gracious, man. He sent a half stack to my house and nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I have that, and I still have a. I've got this gorgeous purple. Uh, Ernie Ball, like kind of purple flame, uh, Wolfgang, and it's just. I, as far as all the guitars that I used like to record with, I don't know that I've ever had a guitar that stays that well intonated and so well in tune. It's just the perfect guitar to track with, man. Now, is it the, a PV or Ernie Ball? Well, I guess it would be Wolfgang. It would be PV Wolfgang, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a PV. You know what's funny about that? I, I have several of them as well, and I had the Purple Flame one. Um, and I had them all in a series of succession. I had a 97, 98, 99 at the time, which wow. was pretty cool. And, you know, at one time, you know, I had some bills, whatever, and I sold the Purple one. And I and I, it's a buddy that bought it, and the only reason why he bought it, he had a Purple Music Man, and he wanted the compliment. You know, the, he wanted the twin, right? I sold right. it for like a stupid price, like about a thousand bucks. I know I could probably offer him fifteen hundred, and he might sell it. I'd even pay sixteen or whatever to get it back. But wow. here's here's the funny thing: the pickups were stock, like in every Wolfgang I have. Um, nothing different about it, other than the purple flame. And I would I I have a black maple top, uh, you know, a basswood body maple top, um, painted black one. That's my was my main one. And so I would switch from time to time live, and I'd switch to this purple one. And the sound man would ask me after the show. Oh, what'd you do different? Did you have a pedal? Did you have a booster? Did you have this? Did you have that? What did you do differently? And I'm like, nothing. And he goes, that guitar um, cut through like no other. And it was just magic. You know, the I, purple I, one? The purple, the purple one, one did. did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was well, just a nice piece of wood. Yeah. Lucky. I mean, that's funny you're saying that because there, there's definitely some good mojo in, in the one that I have as well. And he sent you that one. That's awesome. That's very special. Yeah, man. Yeah. Super, super special. Those were, uh, that was a great tour to I be a part of. That's some great on, memories from on it. On fire on that tour too. He was really on fire. Yeah, you know, he had uh, he had fully embraced his sobriety and and uh, you know they were just they were firing on all cylinders, man. You know, it was a shock. At the end of that tour, they had the big falling out with Sam and um, and then I had the additional amazing experience that uh, Sammy called me and oh, really? we wound up. Yeah, I wound up writing uh, a song with him that made it to that solo record that next year, Marching to Mars. I did not know that. Yeah, man. We wrote a song together called Salvation on Sand Hill. He got excited about a book I, I had with me that I was reading. And uh, he's like, what's that book about? And I started telling him and he immediately he's like, oh, that's it. We're writing a song about that right now. So, um so yeah, man, I got love for all four of those guys. You know, Sam, Michael. I just saw Michael at Nam in January. 
And I had some great discussions with Alex as well. So uh, for a kid that just, I mean, I worshipped Van Halen, worshipped Van Halen, especially those, you know, those first five or six records for for all of us guitar players, man, that, th- those records were biblical. They were. Just there's no there's no heavier adjective. They were biblical. And uh, so to uh, to get to to be around them and, and make some small talk and um yeah, it's a dream come true for me, no doubt. I guess so. And I, I apologize, too. I didn't get a chance to meet you at NAMM because we were there for three days as well, too. But there are so many people I had. I literally made a list of reminders so I could check them off so I did not forget the people I wanted to see. And I had so many people that I actually missed. We were running, my son and I were running between different booths shooting videos and stuff. And we only did about six or eight videos, but we were like all over the place. And there's so many people I regret missing. And I obviously could have met you there, but we'll uh, hopefully cross paths. Uh, yeah, man. Time. Yeah, well, there's always next time. That's right. I love going, love going to Nam, and uh, I had a, you know, I had a great experience this year. So for sure, man, we'll hook up next time. Awesome. There's a question I was going to ask you, but one of my friends actually kind of asked a better version of the question in the chat. So Carlos Santin asked, I was going to ask if you if you play Floyd Roses at all, and um, he asked, have you ever played a Wolfgang? So you've got that one, but have I not seen somewhere in um, one of your videos? Didn't you have one of the newer EVHs as well to the EVH gear? No, man. Um, it's funny that Wolfgang I was describing has a stock tailpiece on it. Okay. And, uh, and, um, but I, you know, all Floyd roses early in my playing, you know, I had a couple of Kramers early on. I had two kind of homemade guitars, you know, you take like a, a Chandler body and a warmth neck and you throw a Seymour Duncan in there and and a Floyd Rose. And I had a couple of those, um, it's funny, man, because I work so closely, you know, I'm so associated with Gibson, which I'm proud of and I love. And Gibson makes some, you know, they make a, a Les Paul with a Floyd Rose on it. It's mm-hmm. called an Axis. Alex Lifeson used those a lot. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Eric, I just can't bring myself to like, it's hard to get my head around that, you know. <laughs> maybe sacrilege, maybe for you as a traditional Les Paul player, maybe. Yeah, I mean, but look, I mean, I, you know, I stand next to Scott Gorham, you know, and Thin Lizzy and my time in Black Star Riders. That's what he plays, man. He plays the Axis, and, uh, you know, he loves it, man. He's That guy doesn't want to walk on stage without the Floyd Rose on that Les Paul. So uh, it obviously works for Scott. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I recorded with um, – I've actually got an old Ibanez. I have this. Uh, it was a. It was a gym from like the late '80s, and I think it was like fluorescent yellow. Okay. Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my buddy, uh, we stripped all the paint off of it. Like every stitch of that yellow, we took off. So it's just the wood grain. Uh, you know, I guess it looks kind of like Nuno Betancourt's guitar okay. or something. Yeah. But you know, that guitar's got a Floyd on it, and. Uh, I put out an EP of five songs uh, back in 2016, and I used that guitar. And the very first sound you hear on the whole thing is is almost like that, uh, you know, like Eddie's dive bomb on Dead or Alive on yeah. Van Halen too. That's kind of how my song starts. Okay. It's a song called called Dead, and uh, so yeah, the Floyd is definitely there. And uh, yeah, bro, I'd love to get my hands on one of those EVHs. Uh, I saw Jack White play in, in Dallas, Texas last year, one. and he's got one yeah. with the Floyd and rocking it, you know, so uh, such a great, great looking guitar, great sounding guitar. Did you notice what he did to that one? He he had the team modify it. He's I painted a different color. He's got this kind of little, uh, I don't know, kind of a belly cut thing on it with a different appendage on it, and he's got three pickups in it. 
I didn't realize that. Yeah, three, I was standing a little further yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, it'd be uh, hard to see, but three three humbuckers in a weird color, so it's kind of. I don't want to say a Jack White signature because it's not, but it's. I think they made three or four of them for him because you could see yeah. the factory. So that was kind of cool. Well, I love Jack. Uh, that guy's. I'm. I'm on the. I'm a fan. You know, like he, his. Every, that guy's really been inspiring. You know, his songwriting. Yeah. Uh, his, his playing, his production, everything, man. He's he's the real thing. Yeah, very another one of those organic guys for sure. I guess you could have to put him in that that vein for sure because taking everything vintage, you know, even though we've got all this technology available to us, he's he's going back, you know, grab, and especially what he's trying to do with vinyl and things like that, preserve. You know, I, I love. Yeah, that. yeah, I uh, no, I, I definitely pay attention to what Jack's doing, just like I, uh, you know, just like I do an artist like Beck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just those guys are they just think differently. And, you know, they're using traditional influences, but, you know, molding it into something new for now and, and for the future. So, uh, I agree. yeah, really, really inspired by those guys. There's a couple of uh, questions in the uh, chat, and I think I know the answer to this. They were asking uh, if you had a couple of those guitars, but you're not actually at your home at the moment, right? Or you're somewhere else and you don't have your guitar. No, I'm, I'm actually at my dad's house. Okay. Uh, he, he lives over just east of Atlanta in Millersville, Georgia. So uh, I came to visit him this weekend because yes. I hadn't seen him in a while. So, uh, no, I'm actually hanging out in his office. I do think, man, I could probably get him to dig out the, uh, he's got an old Gibson acoustic. That was, yeah. you know, my first memory of any guitar ever. Oh, very and cool. I, I don't think anyone's ever seen that, man. I, I'll go ask him in a minute. See okay, if that's pull cool. that out. No problem. And there's another question. Love, yeah, that'd be good. To, we'd love to see that. That'd be. Like, yeah, I'd love to share that with you guys, man. Nobody's ever seen that. That's, that, that would be cool. That'd be very awesome. Well, speaking, yeah, of, speaking of some exclusives like that, too, and you were just mentioning about Kramer, which I kind of went, mm, my ears per, uh, perked up when I heard that, too, because I started on a lot of Kramers as well, too. Um, well, after Nam, we had a really cool experience. We got to go hang out and stay as guests at Gary Kramer's place for three days. And wow. Yeah. He gave us the whole, like we did a documentary on him. We did a, a two day shoot and we got to play like the original junior and I were the only two people on planet earth that played the number one bass off the line. Like they started their serial numbers was 10. So, you know, two, zero, zero, zero and 10. So that was the first one. Then they went, I guess, I don't know if they went 20, 30 or, or they went up in increments of ones, but he uh, told us the story. He says, "You and your son are the only two people on this earth that have played that bass." And of course, wow, man! All the Travis Bean guitars and and then every model of Kramer after and Gary Kramer's own guitars. It was like for a Kramer fan and a guitar fan, it was just like it was very hard to keep composure. And and by doing this little internet show for three years, I, I've eventually been able to kind of turn down the fanboy. Um, but it's so funny. Gary Kramer and I were texting back and forth last night. His, he thought I did two parts, and he says he was sending me some wine footage. We're going to make a, uh, a video of some of his wine vineyard stuff he has. And he goes, maybe you can use this to go as parts three and four. And I said, oh, I don't have any more footage. I said, what, what we have out there is what we have out there is two parts. And he goes, oh, but, you know, he drove us all through his vineyards, sprawling estate with uh, one of those, you know, uh, quad things, whatever. And I had my GoPro up on the roof to take, you know, panoramics. And he goes, but you had your GoPro. I said, um, well, sir, I, uh, and I still say, sir, <laughs> I forgot to hit record. I literally forgot to hit record. On the GoPro. Oh, no. Oh, no, man. And he's as much of a rock star as you're a rock star and all these other rock stars out there. He doesn't play a note, but he's a rock star. And so you notice like sometimes, sometimes you can just kind of be like, you're off your game. And I was off my game on that part. So it was Wow, fun. man. Yeah. Well, good for you. What a, what a cool experience. It was, it was cool. Wow. Well, yeah, man, you know, for all of us that were playing guitar in 
you know, 1983 and 84, uh, you know, Eddie really ramped up his association with Kramer. Yeah. And I just remember walking in the guitar store one day and there he was basically wearing the same clothes he had on in the hot for teacher video. But, you know, he had, he was holding a, a, what was the, there was a Beretta Mm -hmm. and then there was a, what was the other model he played? Pacer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The pacer, yep. thank you. And so there was no more discussion like I have to have one. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, like like thousands of, of, of other guys, you know. So uh yeah, man, I'll never forget. As a matter of fact, that my dad has a picture hanging on the wall. I'm gonna show you that right now, okay. Eric. Check this out. This was my uh tell me if you can see this. That's a shot of me playing the clubs. Um, Bring it over just to the left a bit. To the, let me see if I no, can. You see that opposite way. I, so I see. Uh, no, I see this no, way. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Got it. Thanks. So check that out, bro. That's me. Badass. Yeah, that's like 1985, I think. So wild that I'm talking to you about this, and and because I don't even have a photo of me playing that at my own house, so uh, you have to take a snapshot of it, maybe or you, you, yeah, maybe, maybe you could scan it. You could scan it from your dad and then make a nice reprint of it. Yeah, I will, man. But uh, yeah, you know, I was I was the Van Halen guy for a long time. Uh, you know, I just remember like friends from school. You know, they would have parties and. You know, I mean, we all knew someone like me, like, oh, you got to hear this guy. He can play Eruption and and he can play the solo and uh, I'm on fire and, and he can do uh, Dance the Night Away, you know. And man, it like it gave me currency. It gave me <laughs> like a social life. Sure. You know, I was the Van Halen guy. Yeah. And I was and I was proud of that. So, uh, yeah, man. So I played those those Kramers. uh all throughout the mid to late eighties. And, uh, but I had an amazing experience, Eric, in uh, 1989, I went to Memphis to join a band called the Delta rebels. Okay. And, uh, the singer in the Delta rebels was a guy named RT Scott, who was a colorful character himself, like a cross between Bon Scott and Ronnie Van Zant. Oh, wow. And, uh, Maybe a little David Lee Roth, just because he was so boisterous, you know, but looked like a biker, dressed like a biker, that kind of thing. Well, man, the other guitar player in that band was a guy named Eddie Shaver. And Eddie Shaver's dad was, you know, outlaw, red dirt country legend, Billy Joe Shaver. And Eddie had grown up in Texas, you know, with his dad and, uh, had this Stratocaster, I think, that Dickie Betts gave him. And, you know, I'll spare you all the details, but I heard that guy play one note, and it changed my life. Like, changed my life. (laughs) And, like, in that moment, because I think I was in that same place a lot of other players were in the late 80s. You know, you'd grown up on Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. Stevie Ray Vaughan had hit which was big for me. Mm-hmm. But then Ingve came on the scene and it was this whole other level of technical ability that I, I loved it and was impressed. And, you know, but I just couldn't get my head around that whole sweet picking thing and, mm-hmm. you know, classical influences. It just wasn't for me. 
So when I was in the Delta Rebels and met Eddie Shaver, I got to tell you, man, I put those Floyd Roses away. And I don't think I touched them again, maybe until I recorded my EP in 2016, you know, because Eddie played a Stratocaster. I mean, the real thing. Uh, you can you can Google Eddie, uh, all your all your all your listeners and and people that are online right now, man. Uh, go to go to Google or YouTube and look up Eddie Shaver. You spell it with a Y. Okay. E D D Y. Eddie played guitar for Dwight Yoakam for a little while as well, but uh, Eddie was an outer worldly, like Stevie Ray and Jeff Beck rolled into one, and. Uh, so it just changed my life. So that was sort of, like I say, man, that was kind of the end of the Floyd Rose for me. Like yeah. in that moment. Right you know, I, I, <laughs> I, it was like, okay, that's what it's all about. What I'm doing is maybe not what it's all about. Yep, I agree with that. that you know, and it just, it, it was a seismic event for me. And uh, so, yeah, and no surprise, man, a year later, I, I put my own band together back home in Alabama that would ultimately become brother Kane. So, uh, that's how big that, that inspiration was for me. Well, I, I think sometimes we, us as guitar players, once we find out that we're going to be guitar players, I mean, we don't know we're going to be guitar players when we're born. It, it hits us at one point in our lives, but I think maybe there's a little bit of this DNA in all of us. Maybe there's like the neoclassical stuff, like the Yngwie mom scenes. Maybe it's a little thing there. We just have to know how to turn it on. Some of us in, the, in your case, also in my case, I couldn't do it either. I just, I couldn't flick that switch and turn on that light. I, there was a burnout bulb and just wouldn't activate. And also, well, yeah, my, yeah. Yeah, man. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, I, I just want to say, you know, I have some great friends that they loved all the same stuff I did, but then they did get their head around Ingve and yep. all of that, like uh, like Richard Fortas that plays oh, yeah. GNR, yep. monster player, and he can play all that stuff, man. Uh, Richie Faulkner, this in Judas Priest. I love Richie and his playing. Uh, you know, both those guys, man. They can they can do all that stuff, and then and and it's almost kind of seamless for them they make it they make it look easy and i i'm just in awe whenever i'm hanging out with them and and i get to watch them play so i i definitely uh i'm really comfortable man being a little more of the slow hand guy yeah you know i have my I, I love my moments where there's i have my moments where there'll be a burst you know a flurry of notes and but um i kind of it has to be kind of pulled out of me uh working with uh my great producer friend nick rasculinix who uh, who lives in nashville as well as i do uh he's really been a big uh, made an impact on me because you know he'd hear me warming up and he'd be like hey man you can shred and i'm like no nah. he's like, no on this next pass i want you to shred and i can show you moments man like on my ep on the black star writer stuff you know that was totally nick pushing me he's like come on dude you can burn let me let me hear you let me hear you eat it up for a second so uh it's fun to play like that. It's just not necessarily what I sit around at home. No, of course. It's nice to have a producer, though. That's That shows a good producer because a bad producer can say, okay, great, good job. Okay, let's go next. And it took you out of your comfort zone and forced you to do Yeah, it totally did, man. And, and, and the results, I could feel it. Like, I'm like, you know what? He was totally right. Yeah. That song or that moment needed that kind of explosion of notes. Because, hey, man, I love Edward. I love Gary Moore. Mm -hmm. Fiery players, man. There's a... There's a lick that Gary does that I've been trying to figure out, man, for 25 years, and I still can't play it right. And it's, you know, he, wow, man. You know, if I if I had a little more of that technique, maybe I'd play 
Yeah. Play like that a little more. I, yeah. have, I haven't heard the riff that you're talking about, of course, yet, but I'll bet you, I, I, I'm willing to bet that you probably look at moments like that and you might, because the producer coaxed you, pushed you, and took you out of the comfort zone, I bet you might look back and say, that's better than what I can play. Like you get that. I talk about this a lot where sometimes you play better than, a, than your human talents allow you to. Does something happen that day? And maybe that's, maybe that was that case. No question about it, Eric. Uh, I played beyond my skill level a couple of times, you know, and, uh, you know, to see that smile on Nick's face and and the other guys in the band, you know, they have Scott Gorham sitting over there on the couch going, damn, bud, you just (laughs) ripped that, man. That was great. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but yeah, it sounded pretty good. <laughs> That's cool. And you share that. You know, it's a magical moment for everybody. And uh, yeah, you're connected yeah. by the producer and then you, all through everybody. There's um, a couple of cool questions. I, I got them texted to me. They were from the chat and I didn't see them. So one of them was from David McCain says, uh, and this is, this is a tough one. This is like, oh boy. Uh, David McCain says, if you could have lessons from one guy, Steve Lukather or Eddie Van Halen, who are both friends, obviously, uh, <laughs> who would you pick? Oh, so hard, man. I know. I, I would have to. I would have to say. I'm sorry. I love Steve Luca there as well too. But I'd have to go Eddie for me. I would. But it's not wow, for me. It's not for me. It's so hard because see, see. Oh, tell who asked that question. Um, David McCain. David, well, <laughs> d- well done, my friend. Well done. I I have to say you got me on that one yeah. because they're both so good. You know, there there's so many moments of of specific things Eddie has played that I would love to say, hey man, can you show me how to play this? Can we go to the guitar solo in So This Is Love and show me, you know, how you do that run when you come off that highest note? Where did you position your hand to pull off that, you know, that next thing? However, also, Lukather, man, Deep, deep love for Steve yeah. because Steve can almost play anything. He can. He can. He can take the simplest, like four or five chord pop song, and just bring something to that. Like I, I think I'd want to know more about how Eddie pulls off things technically, like how he plays something. But I want to know how Steve brain works. Like, hey man, what are you thinking right there? Like the, that chord, you know, the, the bridge of this song goes to this chord and you played something that would have never occurred to me to even think about playing. Steve's got a little of that jazz fusion thing in there, too. You know, there's a couple of little notes that he'll sprinkle that just just knock me out, man. I listen to I mean, really, they're kind of similar, man. Both both Lugater and Edward. I hear those guys play solos and I just start laughing. They just crack me up. I know. I'm like, those guys are crazy. How do they even come up with that? You know, I love them both so much. Would you Would you agree with this? A little analogy, and I've never said this about Steve Lukather, but I'll put him in the same boat as Eddie for this because um, I feel like they're both driving this Formula One race car that is at the brink of exploding or crashing into a wall. <laughs> if you or I got, and I, I won't say you, because you're a better guitar player than me, but if the average person getting into these Ferraris and, we, and we're and we at the, the same control that they are, we're going to crash and d- die, but they pull it off at the crisp of destruction, you know, or maybe about, maybe I'll make it easier. Maybe at the, the sound of their amp's going to blow up or whatever, but they pull it off with style. I find that the same with both of those guys. Yeah, you've you've heard it. You've heard Eddie say in interviews, he describes himself as like, you know, falling down a flight of stairs. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what his playing is like. And 
Definitely that analogy with Luca there, man. I mean, there's some things he plays where it's literally like he's in some hot Italian sports car with it just gunned. And it's it's a flurry of notes that just like you can't even. I mean, hey man, Jeff Beck said Steve Lukather's best and greatest guitar player of all time. So last time go. I checked, Beck is God. So uh, yep, that's, well, that's good. That's good to hear for sure. <laughs> Don't ask me. Ask Jeff Beck. <laughs> and that's the thing too. That's a great analogy as the falling down the stairs because I always say that when I'm trying to you know uh, you know show sh- like share lessons on my channel if I'm playing eruption, which I've been doing it for 35 years, still not to the, not even close to being right. But the the outro part of it when you're tapping down. Um, it is, I always say it's like you're falling down the stairs and you're probably going to fall down the stairs on that part, but here's the part, here's what you got to do is you just got to pick your stair you're going to land on. And (laughs) the first time you might fall all the way down and hit your collarbone and break your collarbone at the bottom stair, or you might pick yourself up on the third stair, just pick your exit. You're going to mess it up. Uh, it may be, you know, find your exit. What a great description of Eddie's playing. Um, you know, I've talked about this a lot with my uh, my great friend, my bass player buddy, Robbie Crane. You know, Robbie was born in Hollywood, and he grew up around all those kind of 80s bands, but he worshipped Van Halen. And uh, we talk so much about Eddie's right hand. Oh, yeah. The, the feel that guy has, the, the pocket that he plays in, it's kind of unmatched. I don't know... Uh, he just as a rhythm guitar player, man. I mean, Eddie's Eddie's just as dazzling and and special and Mount Rushmore for his rhythm playing as he is all the badass pyrotechnic lead playing. And you know, he's just a total package, man. And and that's why he totally deserves that great compliment that Zappa gave him. You know, when he thanked him for reinventing the guitar because yeah. he totally did. He sure did. He reinvented the electric guitar and. Uh, you know those 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 trimmers are being felt to this very day. You know, Agreed. so. Uh, and speaking of which, do you ever you ever try playing a guitar like this, but holding it this way, like he does? Yeah, I have. Can you I, do it? If I if I kind of get my speed up, you know, I can I can do the trill like Eddie does. I yep. just can't do it as consistently as he does. I can't do anything holding the pick like that. I just can't. I tried because you know <laughs> trying to copy him, right? I just can't do it. I have to hold it, you know, kind of tr- semi traditionally, I guess. Yeah, man, I, um, you know, I'll probably listen to those, those Van Halen records, you know, until the day I die. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just such a great, uh, reference point for me. Um, you know, I was so inspired by just the energy that the whole band played those songs. And certainly when I got to see them live, you know, it just, it was life changing, totally mm-hmm. life changing. So I just think it's important for me as a, songwriter as an entertainer certainly as a guitar player that i never go very long without revisiting that that influence and that that sound it was just such impact it was impact it yeah. was it was like an explosion man it the way that guy plays the way they d- would deliver those songs um it just changed my life and uh you know, listen, man. I grew up on a farm, Eric. I'm, 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 I'm talking rural, yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. Same here, actually. And and all you had, man, was sports and music and girls, and that that was it, man. Yeah. So, um, you know, Eddie just, you know, he it really fed my dreams. It's like, wow, man. It wasn't like, oh, if I could just get out of here, uh, 
it wasn't like that. It was just like, wow, man, what if I could make a living playing the guitar like that guy, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, my dream came true, man. I've, I've raised five kids and, you know, like that's all I've done my whole professional life. And I'm not one of those guys that goes, well, you know, it's all I can do. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I can do lots of other stuff, man. I was going to college and I was going to get an engineering degree. But and you chose this. Yeah, man. Oh, and I feel like it kind of chose me. Yeah, like it's I, really good. I was sort of, you know, I was sort of headed in another direction mm -hmm. uh, as far as my school work. And, you know, I was going to get a straight job and just maybe play music on the weekends for fun. And, and music just kept guiding my life and steering me. So uh, Eddie Van Halen has so much... Uh, he, he he's responsible for so much of that for me. And and I mean that sincerely, man. The guy was just life-changing. That's beautiful to hear. And it's we share a similar thing in common because I grew up in a very rural community. Uh, you know, your your closest neighbor was a quarter of a mile away. You know, so yeah. that's, that's as rural as rural gets. And Van Halen impacted me greatly as well, too, because, you know, if you don't, we didn't have the internet and things like that. Like, so you go out and play with a stick or you light stuff on fire in the backyard, you know, <laughs> whatever, right? I mean, we needed some entertainment. But if I hadn't been for Van Halen, I remember these days, and that's how actually my better half and I are together today. You know, uh, I used to bring my mom and dad's eight track player as a portable eight track player. And it was like, it was, it was kind of bad because it was an eight track player. Cause I was kind of like, kind of laughed at for that where cassettes were just coming out, but nonetheless it was yeah. loud. So I had eight track on there. I'd walk on the bus wearing a Van Halen Jersey and the crazy permed hair or whatever. And I, my, I had that too. Did you? Me too. Yeah. I had that. <laughs> so we got in trouble. I, I, I won't share the whole story about how it happened yet. Yeah, that's a story for another day. But, uh, the, the better half here and I, we got in trouble on the bus and our punishment, we didn't really like each other. And we, we got forced to sit at the front of the bus together for the entire season of school. And eventually, you know, when you hate, you hate each other, and eventually now you're, you're cellmates or whatever you want to call it. Right? Wow. So Van Halen Cell had a lot to do with that. From cellmates to soulmates. Hey, I love I like, that. I like that. That's good. Hey, Eric, I'm going to, if you're cool, man, I'm going to. I'm going to yell at my dad and okay. see if he'll go get that acoustic guitar. Perfect. I would love to uh, to share that with uh, you and your viewers for the first time ever, man. Perfect. Why don't you go do that, and I'll read through the chat, and I'll say hi to some more Yeah, well give me too. two seconds. I'll be right back. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for waiting for the uh, chat. You know, you, know, I'm, you know I'm very bad at the uh, the chat here. Brian Cote is here. Uh, Dolores Fisher. Uh, Ryan Adams. Hey, Damon. Thanks for getting um, me jam with uh, Black... Uh, BSR at Soundcheck last April in St. Louis. Very, very cool. That's nice that you got to do that. Uh, Scott Reese says, I love hearing stories of a father passing on the torch or guitar to the next generation. Agreed for sure. I can't wait to see this guitar. Uh, Gary Holt, my Crusader Deluxe 2006 model uh, that Gary Kramer got me. And I love that guitar, by the way, too, Gary. Very, very nice. I got to see it at your house. Um, Brad Miller says, every time I hear about stolen guitars, I cry. I had two different 65 Melody Makers that were stolen about 20 years apart. That's That's horrific. Uh, Mr. Hellstorm 74, Damon, come back to Kingsport, Tennessee. Some more links from Nocturnal Butterfly. Scott Roos, the only Gibson I've ever owned and still have is an SG. Very nice. Oh, here we go. Do we have it? It's on, it's on its way. Okay, good, uh, good. <clears throat> yeah, my dad um, and my stepmom, they just went to uh, to retrieve it out of... Oh, that's going to be great. Of, uh, ...out of his other office back there. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I think... Even though my dad had that electric that we were talking about earlier, that 330, that thing just kind of stayed in the case, in the closet. But this acoustic guitar I'm about to show you was always around. You know, my dad would play it every weekend. And 
he would have some friends over and like they'd sit around and play Merle Haggard songs Beautiful. or Glenn Campbell songs and uh, you know like rockabilly stuff you know Eddie Cochran <clears throat> things like that so it was you know this guitar is like has been in my memories my whole life that's, you that's know? amazing yeah very indebted yeah. to it for sure awesome thank you yeah I'll tell you about that thanks so, thank, you. thank you so much for that Check it out, man. Oh, Check wow. Check this out. This, um, you know, this is probably an early 60s Gibson. Um, he's got the tension off the neck, yeah. Because uh, you know, off the strings because he hasn't been playing it. But you can see what kind of, uh, you know, super vintage. And uh, I forget the model number. I think it's just, I think they call this an 001. Okay. What's the, the, the model number of it? Uh, I know it's kind of hard to see it yep. here. What do you think but, of that um, guitar hack? I would be remiss if I didn't show you these little marks right here. Can okay. you see? Bring it down a little bit. The... I saw them. Yeah, I see them there. Yeah, see them right there on my fingertips. So yep. my dad loves to tell this story as he was sitting around with his buddies playing the guitar one time. And I was like one year old, maybe two, mm -hmm. probably one. And, uh, trying to get you know wanting to reach up and touch the guitar like give me the guitar sure is how he tells the story so when he would not acquiesce and give me the guitar those are my teeth marks Eric. <laughs> i bit the guitar out of anger that yeah. he would not give it to me oh now man. how priceless is that story oh it's it's priceless yeah. Who else are you going to have on here that can tell a story like that, bro? Uh, I, nobody, nobody, but I can see it. I can picture it. I can picture that determination because I've seen, you know, I've got kids. I've seen them do some crazy things out of, you know, you know like, okay, I'll show you, you know, yeah. but that is awesome. So yeah, you, man, cut your teeth you, on, a, you cut your teeth on guitar. I literally cut my teeth on <laughs> guitar. I love it. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you letting me share that with you. Oh, the, letting. No, that's a treat. That's a, I, I, I got to tone down the goosebumps. And I know a lot of people are fa uh, feeling that as well, too. It's very emotional. You know, that really can kind of paint a story. And speaking of painting the story, in just a couple moments, because we're after, we're past the 10 o'clock hour now, I want to yeah. make sure we talk about the most important thing today. Well, that story of your, of your life and your dad and everything like that is the most important. I'm sure you'll agree with your record being second. So we'll get into the record yeah. in a moment. But there's a question yeah. from, uh, I mean, just beautiful stories. Uh, Rich Stellman says, um, question please, ask Damon about the Damn Yankees album he wrote and recorded that didn't get released. No, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, man. Um, 2000, Brother Kane had ended. I was writing some songs, not sure what I was going to do with them. Maybe put out a solo record, maybe. But I was really so frustrated with the business. I, I pretty much... I can tell you that probably wasn't going to happen. So the damn Yankees were about to make a third album. They had uh, the green light from Columbia records. Their A&R guy was the legendary John Kalodner. Okay. And uh, you remember Kalodner from all those videos, man, yep. in the nineties, the, the Aerosmith videos and so many others. Um, Kalodner had heard those songs that I just mentioned. He had he had gotten a tape of these these ideas because he asked for them. You know, he asked what I was doing. Well, he winds up playing them for Jack Blades, and then Jack and John Kalodner called me one day to say, "Hey, Tommy Shaw 
has just acquired the rights to the name Sticks. They had just parted ways with Dennis DeYoung. So Tommy and JY were needing to go out and kind of resurrect the band with their new band members and all of that. So Tommy had given them his blessing to bring in someone else to make the damn Yankees record. And Tommy had already co-written a few songs and those would be a part of it, et cetera, et cetera. I go to Santa Rosa, California, where Jack lived, where the whole band was rehearsing. Ted Nugent was already really familiar with me because mm -hmm. we had played dates with him and Brother Kane. He was a huge supporter of not just Brother Kane, but of me and my songwriting and my singing, guitar playing, all that stuff. So, yeah, man, we spent about three months together all total. Uh, we wrote some more songs. We went in the studio and tracked everything. And kind of the not so sexy end of the story is, is like we got the mixes back and I think everyone was, was kind of underwhelmed. Oh. You know, we just, everybody got them and it was just like, well, okay, well this is good, but is it great? And if you're having to ask yourself, is yeah. it great? It's probably not great. No, you feel it before you, there's any, any consensus in the room. You'd feel out, you'd all feel it unanimously. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of it. And, and by that point in time, you know, the guys were, everybody was starting to ramp up their other activities. You know, mm -hmm. Ted had to go back and be Ted Nugent and Jack had damn, uh, had night Ranger commitments, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, man, it was a great experience for me. I run into all those guys from time to time and it's always a good hang and Hey, how you doing? And, you know, no ill will, nothing like that, man. It just, it just didn't, didn't come together. And, you know, really, man, that's their band, mm -hmm. you know, Damn Yankees is, is Jack and Tommy and Ted's band. So, you know, if they ever want that stuff to come out, that's totally up to them. They probably won't because I, I don't know that, you know, to put out that stuff now, it's like you're going to need to promote it. And yeah, everybody's busy. Yeah, I look, those, at, I look at that as integrity. I, I really do. I think that's integrity on all you guys' parts. The fact that, you know, some bands could say, you know what, it's not our best, but let's, let's slip it out. We'll get a couple bucks. We'll sell some merch and some, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you didn't. Yeah, we didn't, man. Yep. And, uh, you know, definitely several things that I loved on there. There's a song that Jack and I wrote that uh, he wound up putting on a solo record of his called We Are The Ones. Really cool song. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there was a song that we wrote with Ted that he put on a solo record. And, uh, you know, some of those songs have have have, have turned up in other places. So, uh, yeah. That's that's the damn Yankee story. Tell tell your guy thanks for asking. Okay, well, good, cool. good question. And there's a question from Ryan, Ryan Adams. Uh, he says, uh, question for Damon. I see you're doing VIP signings at your solo shows. Uh, any chance of the super VIP for a chance to jam uh, at a tune on at Soundcheck again? Wow, I've not considered that. That's okay. uh, wow, man. What a great um, what a great idea. You know. Um, that's not out of the question. Mm -hmm. This has to be you know this whole out. this whole kind of season right now is is me truly ramping up my my solo performing career properly. You know, for the first time ever, really. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, maybe down the road, that's something we could get into. I know we did that in Black Star Riders. We had a had a mega VIP thing, man, where where the fans could literally jam a song, you know, with the band. That's pretty cool. And. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe we can do that, man. I uh, that that's fun. Yeah, and uh, I'd have to probably polish up on some other songs that I haven't played in a long time, because uh, 
that happened with the BSR stuff. You know, somebody would come in with some obscure Thin Lizzy song and we'd have to figure it out. Oh, yeah, quickly. yeah. Well, <laughs> not that I'm saying, not that I'm suggesting for the fan side of this, uh, To we talked about Kiss earlier. Kiss had, and I'm not that I'd say you'd want to copy Kiss's uh, uh, thing here, but their, um, their super VIP is like $6,500. 6500 bucks, and that lets you like walk around in jeans, boots. You get to hold jeans, bass. My buddy did it. Uh, um, you get to hold uh, the uh, Iceman guitar, uh, and you get dinner and all that kind of stuff with him as well, too. But 6500 bucks. So if you're going with your, you know, your significant better half, um, that's a big ticket. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's a big ticket. Well, hey, man. More power you know, to them. It's their, it's their farewell, too, right? Or the end of the road. More, so more power to any of these acts, man. It's like, um, you know, you and me, Eric, and everyone watching and, and you know, texting online, whatever. You know, I just feel like we all came up at the greatest time yeah, in music. Just agree. the greatest time ever. And then there'll never be another time like that. No. Um, and so, you know, as we get older and everybody enjoys looking back and, and thinking about, you know, the impact. Just like we've been talking about Van Halen, man, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I, I I get goosebumps as well thinking about that stuff. So, uh, you know, more power to to all these bands. Um, I agree. You, you know, know, I'm just grateful, man, for my fans and you know everything around this album. Um, there's a newness to it, even though I've recorded solo stuff before. It's never had this uh, investment, shall we say? Mm-hmm. This not just an emotional investment, but a really focused kind of plan you know we're, we're going after this man we're we're playing coast to coast and and more dates are coming in and uh you know i, th- I think i'm going to be busier in 2019 than i than i bargained bargained for in the beginning and so, that, that's uh, a good thing though that is a good thing and let's let's do this let's take the last 20 minutes of the show here and and let's kind of paint a picture for the fans um so you were doing an incredible tour with uh with uh black star there in 2018 last year i guess with judas priest whatever and yeah. coming off of that, you're kind of like, okay, well, where, where am I going here with my career, whatever? Why don't you paint that picture and let's go right through the record, what led up to it and um, where we are now with it. Yeah, I, um, you know, man, I, I want to make sure it's almost like I want to give this qualification at the front end. It's like I have so much love and respect for all my brothers in Black Star Writers. You know, I, I was a part of that thing for six years. We made three quality albums and we worked a lot, man. You know, we, we, we really, it, it was everyone's number one priority. We were definitely making an impact across the pond in the UK, in Scandinavia, Germany, you know, other parts of Europe. Um, but I was just spending so much time in another country. And, you know, when you're running a business like that, it's not necessarily cost effective to be flying back and forth. If you're going to get everybody on the plane and bring them over and book a bunch of dates, we treated every tour, Eric, like, well, let's book five weeks worth. Let's book seven weeks worth of dates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, man, I've been doing this a long time. And, um, you know, I got respect for any musician, man, that, that goes out and takes it to the streets and takes it to the fans. And that's just what it takes, man. You you know, you got a tour. That's that's your job to be an entertainer. So I just felt like I had reached a point in my musical life, in my personal life, you know, with my family that I just didn't want to do those long tours anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the other guys deserve to do whatever they want, man. And, you know, the guys still want to kind of go after it. You know, they want to go to South America and build a fan base there and, you know, maybe Australia. And, you know, that's exactly what they should do because it's their lives as well. So I could really feel that I was starting to maybe be an impediment for that. Uh, Because I was definitely the guy that would always raise his hand when the email would come in with all the tour dates. I'd be like, hang on, guys, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Does it have to be six weeks? Can we do two weeks and come home for a week? And and it would just, you know, it just never worked out like that. So, you know, the Judas Priest tour was big because we did, man. That's what we all wanted is an opportunity to play in North America. No better platform than to be out there with our friends legends yeah rob halford glenn tipton you know ian hill and we love richie and we love scott and Mm -hmm. and, uh so it was the perfect place for us and i i don't know for lack of a better description eric i just felt like i woke up one morning on the tour bus and i says you know what i I feel like i've done this long enough Mm -hmm. and i was sitting on this new record you know, I had the songs. It wasn't completed yet. The, the writing was done and some of the recording, a good bit of it was done. You know, and I talked it over with my family and I said, hey, maybe this is maybe this is the time. Maybe we just let's just why don't I go be Damon Johnson? I can I can revisit all this music from my my career, from my resume, uh, write some new stuff. I got a good record right now to kind of launch it with. And so that's that's exactly what happened, man. That's what we did. and That's what we're doing. And uh, so far, we're having a great time, man. Well, I, I told you off the air as well, too. This is very hard. I don't want to uh, jump the gun and say I don't want to judge off of one song, but I, I haven't heard your whole record. I just have heard the single, and I've played the video over and over and over again, shivering, shivering. I had to just wailing here with my nice monitors in here when I was writing the uh, script for the show. Awesome. And, uh, and I was loving it. And Thank I, you. I would like to say this, uh, and here again, it's, I'm not fanboying or anything like that, but I think it could potentially be, you know, like I, I don't know your whole career. I, I know, some, like, you know, I'm not the, the the factual fan and have all the dates and all that kind of stuff. But I know enough about you that I know what you were good at. And I think this could be one of the best things you've ever done. Um, I know it's pre, it's early to say, but I'm feeling it. I, I think it is a very, very good song. It's it's fresh. We really need that. Like, I'm going to I like that band Greta Van Fleet. They're getting a lot of a lot of heat because you know they sound like Zeppelin and stuff like that. I think they came in at a time where we need some fresh rock, but your music is very 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 fresh. You know, um, you, you could go crazy by shredding. You know when not to play the vocals and the damn hook at the song. Whether you like it, love it, or hate it, it like it just just stuck in your head all day long. And <laughs> that's a, that's a good song. Well, thank you very much, Eric. And you know, I, I feel like the music I'm making is new music with a classic sound you know i'm still yeah. kind of treating my song sonically the same way we did in brother kane you know there weren't a lot of bells and whistles man we were just we were just guys writing some songs and firing them up through amps and drums and and lay it down man you know, we tried to get good tones mm-hmm. out of the amps and make the drums tune great and just good pure sounds nothing mechanical or synthesized or whatever nothing against bands that do that man we just you know we i've definitely worn my influences on my sleeve my whole life so what i can tell you about this record i I don't know if it's the best thing i've ever done but it's the purest thing i've ever done every every song i love there's not one song that's on there is filler like oh you know we need one more song let's throw this on there yeah none of that man every lyric i put through 
the deepest microscope and had so much fun, man. Uh, I collaborated with a great longtime friend of mine, Jim Troglin. We wrote those songs together. Okay. And, you know, I, I really fed off of his, like he was kind of blown away that I was so focused and had so much to say and had kind of a, you know, a clear vision for what I wanted this to be. So, you know, he definitely played a huge role, not only in the creating, but just in kind of pushing me forward. Like, yeah, bro, you're just like, yeah, let's do it. You're doing it. Yeah, everything, everything that you're saying could happen, it's already happening. You got it all right there in front of you. So, you know, I'm appreciative to him for that, that support. Certainly my wife, she's just been amazing, man. That, she's, that's you important know, for sure. The support at home. I think, I think she's. She said herself, you know, she goes, it's so awesome to be upstairs doing the domestic thing and I can hear you downstairs singing or you're playing a guitar solo or, you know, working on this stuff. I did a lot of the, the overdubs and stuff at my house, Eric. It was such, it was great, man. You know, I produced this record myself. Um, you know, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge jet fuel going forward for you or anyone to say, Hey man, this might be the best thing you've ever done. I produced this record myself. You know, I made this record like Prince did records. You know, yeah. I just sat there and worked on it until I felt like, hey, I really like this. This is good. I, I think we've gotten it to the right place. So I, I, I kind of see that as the way forward, man. I'd like to continue down that avenue into the future. Oh, I love the story of your wife being upstairs. I can just picture her being music to her ears. You know, my baby's home, you know, and, and doing like, finally doing the, you know, no restraints. Not that you're necessarily, you know, restrained before from doing things. You have creative freedom, but get you get to do what you want to do. You're going to be closer to home all the time. And I know you're doing dates and you're back home. Um, but actually, there is a good question. Speaking about the tone in the studio, Brandon Hastings says, uh, what's Damon's secret to tone? It's got to be the best I've heard so thick and tight and focused. Did you, did you, do you take any mental approach to when you play guitar and when you record? Is it uh, just don't think about it and it'll happen? No, man. I, Brandon, thank you for that, buddy. Um, it's funny, man. I, I, I read our boy, Eddie Van Halen, talking about recording guitars. He's mm -hmm. like, look, man, take an SM57, put it on the cone of the speaker. If you don't like the sound that's going to tape, move the microphone. Okay. But if you've got a, the right guitar, the right amp, the right speaker, an SM57 will make all your dreams come true. Yeah, there's, you know, you can get other mics and Ribbons fancier and mics that and that, you know, but it's just a tried and true thing, man. And, you know, for anybody that, that has said the nice things they have about like those Brother Kane records, that's all that was, man. Really? My old 100 watt Marshall, a beat up. 412 cabinet with 25 watt celestians in it an sm57 and that wine red les paul custom that i bought when i was a junior in high school <laughs> and that's it wow. no pedals no nothing man there you go kids <laughs> that's what you do yeah <laughs> well, that's awesome well there you go there you go move the mic around and, and that's it yeah. um and speaking of some of these uh, the the hot players like the Eddie Van Halens and some of the the players you've had the the pleasure of either playing with, touring with, whatever, I noticed one thing that really caught my eye. I was looking at your tour itinerary, and um, you're touring with a band. I've had two of the three. Uh, I've had Mike Portnoy and Billy Sheen on the show. You're touring with the Winery Dogs. Uh, that's kind oh, of oh great, yeah, man. Just world class musicians on every instrument. Uh, we've crossed paths a, a couple times when I was with Black Star Riders, mm -hmm. and uh, 
you know, man, I'm really looking forward to that. I just, I just feel like it's, uh, it'll be a lot of fun for us to get in front of their crowd and play some of our stuff. And there's no question, man, that anybody that's a fan of the Winery Dogs is going to hear Damon Johnson play and recognize some songs, and they're going to dig some of the new songs as well. You know, so, so happy that that worked out that we could play with them. Plus, it, they're, you know, there are all the dates are in cities in the Midwest that were always great for Brother Kane, Milwaukee, Chicago. Um, we're playing a show in Nashville, my, in my new hometown, which is going to be great. So, um, yeah, man, really looking forward to that. And, uh, no doubt, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, getting a guitar clinic from, from Kotzen every night, man. That guy's just one of the, one of the all time greats, really a tremendous player. One thing I can see your wife probably saying is don't uh, learn any habits of Mike Portnoy and be wanting to join 27 bands. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that guy is so so busy eh i mean he's he's like neil morris and i mean it's all over the place there's so many uh, uh no, I, Apollo. no the one the one question i'm gonna have for mike and i am going to ask him I'm say brother how do you keep your marriage together i, I don't know i don't because know because he does i know, you know they got a good always, unit good unit he's like family man you know great you know beautiful wife and kids and you know in, in this age of social media, it's like, you know, that, that that's what you do. And, and obviously, man, he's, he's doing it all right. I just, I'm sure he's a pretty shrewd businessman. He's, he doesn't have any time to waste. So he's not, no, he's no. not going to waste time. That's right. And you know, the thing is maybe he, maybe he's doing it now because he knows there's going to come a time when him and the wife can retire and do whatever they want to do. And I don't think he's ever going to slow down, but I mean, do it now it's working. I, I think we would be, we would all be a little bit more judgmental if you were hearing all these horror stories on the road, horrific family life and that kind of stuff. So if it's working, like you say, why, why fix a wheel? That's not broke? <clears throat> well, you never know, man. We, we talk a lot about artists like McCartney and sting, you know, talk about guys that could retire, you know, they're doing what they love, man. They're doing what they've always loved. And, you know, I love their workmanlike approach to it. Hey, you know, I've got my band, I got my, my team, my organization. Let's go out and play some music, make people happy. We'll uh, feed all of these people and my band and crew and take care of their families. And, you know, wow, what a, what a gracious way to live, man. I, uh, you know, that, that's the dream, I think, for any of us. That should be the dream for any of us is to just be able to build our, build our music and our, our little business up to the point to where it's, it's working and it's productive. And, you know, you're, uh, you're creating art, but you're still entertaining and you're performing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hey man, I, I still got two kids to get through college. So, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we need this solo thing to work out, Eric. That's right. <laughs> well, well, certainly I know there's a lot of people pushing for you. There's a really, really cool article I read, I read on you an interview and it goes to attest to your, your, you know, the way you look at life. And first of all, I think you've got to be one of the most down-to-earth, grounded musicians, uh, you know, that I've ever spoke to. But it was, I think it was Vintage Guitar Magazine, or I think it was Vintage Guitar. And it was one of the very last questions, and they, you know, asked about success or something like that. I forget what the question was, but you said, look, I'm still the guy that puts his amp in the car on the weekends. You know, I don't have, like, the millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, but I've, I've been able to put food on the table for the kids and provide a life i mean what else could one ask for no man that's success you know yeah my mom my mom is so cute i mean to this day she still says son i just want all the success in the world for you and i say the same thing i go mom i am a success 
Yeah. It's it's all happened. Yes. It's it's happening every day. I'm I've done nothing in my adult life but play my guitar and write songs and get on stage and rock out. Hey man, that's the greatest life. I it is the life I dreamt Agreed. of as a kid. Agreed. And it and it's happened. And it's happening. And uh I'm just yeah, man, I'm the luckiest girl at the dance, brother. I'm <laughs> I'm just just uh you know, really, really proud. And, and, you know, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm proud of the songs. I'm proud to say that I don't think I've, I've written too many stupid lyrics or said dumb things in interviews. You know, I feel like I've tried to conduct myself, you know, with, with some amount of, of, of authenticity. And, uh, so, you know, all of that is informing this moment of now being, a, being a solo artist full time and, uh, I think, I mean, that we definitely set the table for it and the time is definitely now. And so, uh, I, this I, is just it's so great to talk to you, Eric, and, and be a part of this, man. I, I love the work that you're doing. And I know this is fulfilling for you to have this show and your platform and, you know, all the best to you, man, continued success. And, uh, you know, a lot of gratitude to the, the people that have joined tonight and been listening and, and texting this is this has been incredible well thank you it's it's a real pleasure for sure and i think someone just did a super chat i didn't see who that was let me see if i can catch that real quick someone donated some money and i uh, steven asked two dollars great show a uh, little something for the tip jar thank you so very much that's that's great i appreciate oh, wow, that that's awesome um, here, before we go, I want to ask you a question. You know, every once in a while, like a, a hater will crawl through the woodwork and they'll say something like, um, well, you're a mama's boy. Because my mom is saying the same thing as well, too. My mom pushed me to do music. Well, I shouldn't, no, no, she didn't push me. But when I did it, she embraced it with her heart. My dad was maybe not so much until he got near his, you know, later years before he passed away that he kind of accepted it. But my mom was the catalyst to me playing guitar. So if people come up to you or I and say, well, you're a mama's boy, I, I say to them, come back to me when you have an insult, because being called a mama's boy is not an insult. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. I mean, we kind of started this whole thing off about, you know, how fortunate I was to grow up in a musical house. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, my mom, she's a great singer to this day. That's you great. know, she's, she'll be 80 years old this year. Uh, you know, my dad still plays guitar and. So uh, I was really fortunate, man, because it, you know, I couldn't measure it then like I can now. I had these extra tools in my musical bag that I think gave me extra uh, progress, you know, a little faster in, in my early years. And uh, it was priceless, man. You know, it really helped me. So I'm, I'm grateful for their their encouragement to this day. Yeah. And I'm sure. really happy for you that they're still here with you, um, you know, at this yeah, point, at this point in your life, because I have I've lost both of mine. Um, I'll share a funny story with you that you may appreciate, you know, how much our parents care for us. Uh, my dad is, uh, my mom, we lost my mom first and my dad passed later in life. But as my dad was getting older and he was getting dementia, he, he, um, he knew how much I loved Eddie Van Halen, but he, when he started to lose his brain power, he confused Bruce Springsteen with Eddie Van Halen. So <laughs> he would, he would clip out an article, you know, and he's, and he say, he would call me up from the retirement home. Hey, Eric, I've got another article for you. And I, I used to say, Dad, that's not Bruce, that's not Eddie Van Halen, that's Bruce Springsteen. And, got, and I'd be saying it so that's much awesome. that I would it, awesome. it got to be too much. So I would just stop saying it. I'd go collect them. So needless to say, at one time, I had the world's largest newspaper collection of Bruce Springsteen articles. Yeah, that's priceless, it. man. That's yeah. what a great story. Yeah, parents what are the best. Story. 
Well, you reminded me before we go, I have to tell you my other big, important Van Halen story. It was important for me. Let's do it. We were in San Francisco playing that amphitheater and the tour manager comes by and says, hey, Damon, the brothers want to see you in the dressing room. And I was like, the whole band? And he's like, no, just you. So I go down there and there's Edward and Alex in their dressing room. And Alex goes, hey, Damon, thanks for coming down here. We're having a discussion. And we're not so sure if you should like just be the lead guitar player or if you should just be the singer and get a guitar player because you sing great and you play great. But if you think about the biggest bands of all time, you know, most of them have front man, mm-hmm. guitar player. And as Alex is talking, Eddie's got this really like frustrated look on his face. And he finally just goes, shut up, Al. He goes, he goes, Damon, don't listen to him. He goes, I told him, I said, Al, have you ever heard of anybody named Jimi Hendrix? Have you ever heard of Stevie Ray Vaughan? Have you ever heard of somebody named Kurt Cobain? Uh, you know, and as these guys are talking, you know, I'm kind of leaned back against the door and I'm stepping outside of this scene, yeah. looking down on it like, oh my God, man, if my buddies from high school could just see me right now, it was. So almost, was having, a fight, most, almost having a fight in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they were, yeah, they were kind of scrapping and, you know, they were both, their intent was, was pure, sure. and, you know, and, and Al was great, man. Al was always coming out and checking us out and, you know, he loved our songs. He all he loved those, those songs that we, we wrote and brother Kane. So, uh, but that's one of my favorite memories, man, is those two guys like arguing about me. Yeah. You know, they're having an argument about Damon Johnson, whether he should front or sing or do both isn't that and, uh, something? so so eddie won eddie won that argument because here i am man i'm gonna do both forever not too many of us on this roads can say eddie and alex had an argument of well, where we should go in our lives <laughs> what a way to close well, out the night that is i did insane yeah, there's one last question here i he asked a couple times and and i don't know the answer to this uh mr hellstorm 74 says please ask mel scott rockenfield is doing you know what? I haven't talked to Scott Rockenfield in quite some time. Scott and I did a great record together, a band, a side project, Slave to the System, okay. which I am proud of to this day. I totally endorse that record. So many badass songs, great lyrics, great arrangements, great production by Kelly Gray. Um, I think those songs are going to get a remaster and possibly repackaged and put out with two or three songs that uh, that have not been released before. Wow. Uh, that's how much I love that record and uh, really did great work with Rock and Feel, man. What a great drummer and he just the easiest cat to work with. He was super flexible and, you know, anytime I'd have my weird songwriter, you know, issues like well should you play the hi-hat or is it the ride symbol he would play them both he'd go tell me which one you like man you know he's like that kind of guy so uh yeah man really proud of that record and those songs for sure mr hellstorm thank you for asking that question because that was a great answer and something i didn't know about so that's that is really really cool so the record drops the day before my son's birthday my my son's birthday on march 9th on march 8th the record comes out yeah man memoirs of an uprising on double dragon records March the 8th, uh, it will be everywhere. 
Uh, it's exciting, man. There's the third track from the album just hit today on all the streaming platforms. So okay. you can still pre-order the record on iTunes. Uh, if you're on Spotify or Apple Music or any of the other s- streaming services, you can hear three songs right now. Shivering, Shivering. Uh, Dallas Could Have Been a Beatdown, which I ripped off Steve Lukather's guitar solo for that. Thank great, you very much. Great. Yes. I even told him so. I emailed him and told him. <laughs> he, he loved it. And then the third track hit today, uh, Making Peace with This Wicked Beast, uh, with some Stratocaster on it. So, uh, yeah, man. Stellar. Check them out. So if I have two facts correct, uh, one, if you pre-order now, you get Shivering, Shivering immediately. Yep. Okay. And red vinyl available and limited quantities as well, too. Yes, that's on my website. Thank you, Eric. DamonJohnson.com. Got this gorgeous vinyl package, man. Red red vinyl. Uh, I don't think we're going to do a, another uh, repress of that. Oh, so so limited, uh, very limited. We got a few of them left, but uh, uh, about to put it in order for just the regular black vinyl as okay. well. But uh, having a great time, brother. Uh, really excited for these tour dates coming up. Uh, my band is first class. It's an honor to play with these guys. Uh, all friends of mine, longtime friends from Nashville, Jared Pope on drums, Tony Nagy on the bass and Tony Higby on guitar. Uh, we are making a joyous noise, man. We can't, uh, and I'd love, we're, we're trying to get to Canada as we speak, oh, man. Great. I'm, I'm working on some things to get up there. I, I love the great white North, um, um, always, always got great, great, uh, interaction in Canada, uh, it's, it's nice back there. in the nineties with, with brother Kane. So, uh, look for that, man. We're going to try to make that happen. That will be phenomenal. I'll look forward to that for sure. But listen, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know the fans here in the chat are re- very appreciative. This was a wonderful sit down, relaxed, really fun interview. I think you really got your head on straight. Um, I'm a big fan. I'm a bigger fan now. Uh, but most importantly, you know, this was a time that you got to spend with your parents this weekend. So thank you so much uh, for taking time out of family to spend it with us as well, too. It's been a, a, a Eric, it was my pleasure, man. Continued success to you, brother. Uh, you. This was special. I got to show off that Gibson acoustic. That my, was uh, neat. This, this, that's been uh, in my memory since I was a kid, and I got to show off those teeth marks. My dad's going to get a big <laughs> kick out of that. <laughs> there, there was a question earlier, and we'll wrap up with this. Uh, I forget who, uh, Nathan Madden, I think it was. Do you, do you know the wood type of that guitar? Do you, what Was it, was it uh, rosewood on the back and sides? or? Did... You know what? I really don't, and I'm so proud of my relationship that I have with Gibson. Mm-hmm. I've thought about this before, and I might even do it this weekend, is take this guitar back home with me. And just take it down there and let the guys give it a once over and yeah. tell me about it. You know, yeah. tell me what year it is. Uh, you know what the what the top is, how how the bracing is. Um, you know, again, man, it's not like it's not like some expensive J two hundred, but it's a it's a cool little guitar, man. And I've not recorded with that guitar. I'd love to do that as well, man. Is, is maybe get something on on tape. Well, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to contact my buddy Aljean, who works at Gibson. He's the one who hooked me up with um, uh, the Kramer endorsement. I'm going to tell him that if Damon's coming by, watch he doesn't bite on guitars. (laughs) (laughs) Watch those teeth. Well played, Eric. All right. Well played, brother. Listen, my friend, I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. This has been an absolute pleasure. I cannot think of a better way to warm up a weekend than to sit down and talk guitar with a a, a great individual like yourself. Thank you so much. Everyone, uh, thank you so much for joining in tonight. I know I didn't get a chance to say hi and and ask everyone the questions in the chat, but we appreciate you more than anything. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. Come on over and hang out with us again on Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock as we welcome Johnny Lee from the UK over on the Helix Hour. 
for a 60-minute show, we'll have some fun guitar hack. Thank you so much, Thrash Metal Riffs. Uh, there, you know, so many great people here that make this thing possible. And uh, just like in rock and roll, if you don't have an audience, you're speaking to nobody, and you're the best. So I'll say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, rock and roll. We'll see you real soon, and until next time, cheers. Hey, EVH Care TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.